Radio has changed in a very good way. RedHotRadio.fm This country is run under two systems, one for employees and one for businesses. Mm -hmm. The employee system says if you make, let's just say, let me give you a round number. If you are an employee for someone and you make $100,000 a year, they're going to take $35,000 right off the top. You're not even going to see that. FICA and them going to get all of that. Mm -hmm. And with the sixty dollars to $65,000 that you get left, that you get, you have to figure out how to pay for your cell phone, your car, your gas, your rent, your mortgage, everything. And then it's usually not enough money, right? We're trying to figure out how to make some more money, how to make ends meet. And at the end of the year, you get taxed on the whole $100,000. Mm. That's the system for the poor. That's the system that keeps everybody trapped. Yep. The business system is different. If you have a business and you make $100,000, let me tell you what happens first. First, you get to write off your cell phone, your cable bill, mm -hmm. your car, your gas. When you go out to eat dinner at a restaurant because it's a business dinner, you get to write off all that stuff. And then if that adds up to, let's say, 60000 70000 you only get taxed on the 30000 that's left over. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Yeah. So we can use literacy. We can leverage literacy in this great event and economic power to better position ourselves in the money game. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's essentially like what I would say just to kind of get folks ignited mm -hmm. to understand that the power is in your hands to create whatever future you have been given the vision to see. Mm. The power is in your hands yeah. to create the future that is whatever has been given to you in your vision to see. Let me explain it to you this way. If you have a vision, it's because that's yours. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say your money is few. It doesn't say your resource. It says laborers. So that's what I love about all these people helping Asada because it takes people mm -hmm. to make a dream come true. Team. So if the harvest is there, if your dream is there, then you just have to position yourself to go out and get it. Mm -hmm. Let me say it to you this way. Whatever you see is yours because you won't see what's not yours. Mm. Whatever you can see, it is yours because it's not possible to see what is not yours. Mm -hmm. For example, I've always envisioned myself when I was a vice president at J.P. Morgan Chase and I'm doing all the little corporate stuff. You know, you got to smile when you don't want to smile. You got to go to the meeting and say hello to this person and you don't even like them. You know, all of this stuff you got to do. And I just, I was like, I'm tired of this. Let me, and I quit. And I said, I'm going to go help people get closer to God by removing money as a barrier. Mm. That's essentially what I said. And when I was able to do that, I remember on that plane ride home, I opened a magazine and I saw Russell Simmons and Jay-Z and Beyonce and Kanye West and Susie Orman. I was like, oh, no, no, that's the wrong person. That's supposed to be me. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I saw myself in that position. That's because it was mine. I wasn't trying to take away what was hers. I have respect for her. But she can't talk to my people about money like I talk to my people about money. Because mm -hmm. we ain't going to take it from her. So y'all can say you cannot put $5,000 rims on a $500 car. <laughs> and y'all amen me. Because I'm just doing with Medea. I'm, you know, just the Medea, right? I can tell my sisters, we're going to live by the universal purse test, which uh -oh. says if the purse costs more than the amount of money you can keep in it on a regular basis, leave that joke on the rack. 
<laughs> if the purse costs $300, say, self, do you usually have $300? Uh-uh. The purse costs $20. Uh-uh. Self, you usually got $20. That's the purse that you get off the rollback rack, wherever it is. So, you know, I can talk about Pookie and Ray Ray. You know, they want to come and b- borrow money, and, you know, we want to give it to them, don't want to give it to them. I can say that, but she can't. So whatever I was dreaming was mine. Whatever you were dreaming for is yours. Mm -hmm. I would never dream about a space shuttle because that's not for me. That's for the people who go up in space. Mm -hmm. So what I want to leave you with, and I know we're going to sign some books and I really want us to answer questions like, Mm -hmm. what I want to leave you with is this literary fair that's happening. And I know it's Saturday morning and people been working all week, and they are not trying to come out here this early. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for those who are here because I believe who is here is who we're supposed to serve. That's right. So I never look at it like, oh, it wasn't a lot of people. No, it's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of minds. Mm-hmm. The next president can come out of this discussion. The next great invention can come out of this discussion. Mm-hmm. So I honor it, and I give it all my power. What I will say to you is this. Whatever you see, get. Support our authors. Write your book. Um, you'll get my contact information. Mm-hmm. I've helped so many people write their first book. I'm so excited about this, and I'm just glad that y'all love us enough to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> to pay attention. Yeah, just to pay attention. Yes, Dr. Lynn spitting those jewels. Every time I'm, I'm with her and we're in front of a crowd, I feel like I got a show and tell because she's always going to say something that's worth writing because it could possibly change your life if you're able to use it and envelop it into what it is that you are doing so uh, let me let me say this though mm-hmm. like the, there's a book that you and dr benjamin Machave, dr benjamin chavis mm-hmm. wrote mm-hmm. together it's called fusion mm-hmm. and it's basically showing the intersection between the civil rights movement and hip-hop, and hip-hop. Mm-hmm. what was that experience like writing fusion with doc with the infamous Dr. Men, Dr. Benjamin Chavis, I'm, who's like an elder. He's like an uncle. He's he like the OG. Elder. He yeah. is. Triple you know, OG. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it was wonderful to be able to sit down and talk with him about um, what it was like during the civil rights movement, but also how it is that he feels that hip-hop now has the power to do what the civil rights movement did, and that's to educate and inspire and fight for what's right and stand up when everyone else is sitting and to speak out and to speak up about the injustices and inequalities, inequalities that are happening in society today. So to be able to just hear his take, but also hear his reverence for what it is that we do um, as a hip hop community, that's hip hop community, not rap music, but the culture itself is, um, you know, there's many uh, sectors into it aside from emceeing, DJing, breakdancing, and graffiti. The fifth aspect was knowledge, and lots of times it's left out of the spectrum when people talk about hip hop. And it is about the culture, and it's so much more about the music or the fashion or all of the things that inevitably have made money and made it a business, those things that out, uh, exist outside of the lines of the business are really what make it whole and what set the foundation for hip hop. And so to hear him talk about the level of respect that he had for us made me feel great because we took that baton from the civil rights movement, at least some of us, a lot of us, um, and were able to do something with it. 
Well, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, we took the baton, but we took it in kind of a different way. Mm -hmm. We didn't take it in the way of like marching and um, having to deal with a lot of the very physical hip hop things that happen Mm -hmm. in the civil rights movement. It's interesting to me, though, because I watch my youngest daughter is on her way to Howard University. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, praise the yes. Lord for that. You did a good job, like, Dr. Lynn. I was like, I do not want her to go to one of these schools. And she wanted to go to school in Texas. And my husband was like, no, you can't go to Texas. I might have to kill somebody down there. <laughs> and then, you know, so, but they are facing so, they have so much, I don't want to really call it rage, but mm-hmm. they are just infuriated by the injustice. Mm-hmm. And so our generation kind of took, what the civil rights movement and the baby boomers before us, we kind of took it and put it into words. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget one of the first, of course, outside of um, Rapper's Delight, but one of the first hip-hop songs that I heard that Mm -hmm. made me, like, wake up was the message. Mm -hmm. Don't push me, because I'm close close to the the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 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 Right? <laughs> um, I didn't know till many years later as a student at Northwestern University that they were talking about what was physically happening to them. Do you know mm-hmm. that from uh, there was a, a six or seven year period in the 70s that there were more than 50,000 fires in the Bronx, mm-hmm. that, the, that the cities and the buildings and where people lived mm-hmm. and where people... I know what I was doing in the 70s. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, I was getting up early in the morning, in the summertime, going outside. Like, nobody would even be outside. I'd be waiting on my friends to come outside <laughs> so we could play double dutch mm-hmm. or so I could boss somebody around. I was always <laughs> organizing things and, you know, creating little groups and Nothing going on trips. Yeah, I'm still the same way. <laughs> and it's so funny because... Before my neighborhood was destroyed, mm-hmm. um, I remember going back to my old neighborhood, and my oldest daughter was maybe 11 or 12, and so I saw all my childhood friends. And the first thing they all said to my kids, they weren't like, oh, you look just like your mom, or oh, you look, they were like, your mom used to tell us what to do, your mom used to, from sun like, up to sun from down. sun up to sundown. <laughs> I ran the double dutch group. I ran the hopscotch group. I ran the cheerleading group. I ran everything. Mm -hmm. But I remember going outside Mm -hmm. wanting to be with my friends and go to the candy store. And I remember having a quarter. Mm -hmm. And I could go to the candy store and get a pickle, a bag of chips, some wine candy, (laughs) and still have some change. Right? I still have some change to go back later, give me an icy cup or a snowball. And so that's my experience. But these brilliant people, and you were a part of those people, Mm -hmm. you all were experiencing something slightly different Mm -hmm. and then putting it to music Mm -hmm. and telling the world about it. Mm -hmm. And so that took a lot of courage because it wasn't customary you know mm. music was the su- the supremes or the temptations mm. or and as a matter of fact one of the reasons i respect my brother russell simmons so much is because he knew it was a phenomenon mm-hmm. and he went beyond the vision of even some of our elders in the community and just kept pushing forth mm-hmm. you know hip-hop so you know my hat's off to you your first song your your first rap what what inspired that 
Uh, honestly, well, it was called I Cram to Understand You, and it was inspired by the message. You know, many prior, uh, years prior, I had heard Melly Mel uh, with the Grand, uh, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel deliver that song, the message, and just listening to the words, and he just, you know, you could vividly see what it was, the imagery that he had put together with words, and I also remember there was a video to it, and I, I was from Brooklyn, and I had no idea that the Bronx looked like that. that like that was my first idea or, or concept of what the Bronx actually looked like. And I think he just did such a great job with painting that picture. And so years later now, we're in you know almost the late 80s, and the crack epidemic had really hit uh, really hard in New York, but across the nation, I was to understand at a later age. But just seeing those folks um, struggling. I, my first song, I Cram to Understand You, I just wanted to paint the picture for my generation not to become involved with drugs at all, not to sell them, take them, hang around people who sold or took them, and just stay as far removed as possible. And, you know, I guess what I didn't know then is that specific age when you're a teenager, they are banking on you not knowing what that new drug can actually do to you. And so if they can just catch you off guard with something new, like, you know, even somebody like DMX, he can tell you that when he tried crack for the first time, he didn't know what it was going to do to him. Like, it, there, there weren't... There was no story that had been told that had reached him for him to understand that his life would forever be changed and that would be his struggle throughout his life's journey was not to mess with this particular drug. So I just wanted to be a part of that process for a teenager going through life. Hopefully that would hit them and, and connect with them in a way that they wouldn't want to be so, so, the, the, so the first rap was what I couldn't understand you. And what was it about? It was about me being in love with a guy who was in love with a woman's whose name started with a C and ended with a K, which was crack. It was crack. But the entire time in the relationship with him, I felt like he was cheating, but I didn't know with who. Because, or what? Oh, or right. what? But it seemed like a who. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so. and you wrote your first rhyme. How old were you? <laughs> um, I probably was about eight. Eight? Yeah, eight or nine. I'm like, I'm waiting on the 18, 80? Like, with no. eight, just eight? Wow. Yeah, I think I was about eight because I, I heard the message when I was, I think, seven. Okay. Um, or maybe even before that. But in any case, it was the song that made me feel like, oh, I need to concoct something of my own. And I don't, I don't know if you all had this here in Chicago, but... When I was about 11, I had a really close cousin that was about 15, 16, and he used to have these composition books. And in the front of the book, you would, all, you would put your name next to a number. And then you would turn the pages like favorite color, and then next to the number you would have. So it was all of this uh, composition books being used for various reasons. So I took one and I had poetry and short stories. My mother was an advocate for just writing and, you know, emoting through words and paper. And, and so that's what I was able to do, write a rhyme at that age. And your mom really encouraged your um, 
mastery at this point because you're the voice of everything. <laughs> we we listen to anything. We'd be like, MC Light, you know, and if her voice isn't, because I run all her companies, and if there's an award show on television and MC Light is not the voice of it, people start complaining, where's MC Light? I'm like, she's not the voice of every show, y'all. Right. She's the voice of the BET Awards and now the Image Awards. Right. But if any show comes on, everybody's like, where's MC Light? So that is a testament to the power of your voice and your words. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, I'm a smart girl. Uh, you know, I guess I, I got an education. No, I'll attest to that. Yeah, I got an education. But sometimes she will use words. I'm like, how does she come up with that word? You know, it's like my daughter. I remember she was six and she came home and she's like, mom, look at my portrait. I was like, portrait? That's a painting. You know, I'm looking at the right. small word, but she had access to a bigger word. Mm -hmm. How did your mother nurture that in you? Well, my mom studied to be a school teacher, and so at any moment, she would use her skill set of what she learned on me. Uh, but one thing that was really important, well, a few things. Uh, one was never use the same word all the time to express what it is that you're trying to say. There are so many words throughout the dictionary that can be used to help you, you know, share your emotions. And I remember in the morning, you know, we had one bathroom, and so we would be, she'd be getting ready for work, I'd be getting ready for school, and she'd say, how you doing? And I'd go, fine, and she'd go, okay. Then the next day, how you doing? i go, fine, nope, fine, isn't it? Go to the thesaurus, get another word. And so it helped me to, you know, develop different ways of saying things, which sometimes can be annoying to one who isn't willing to reach or stretch or grow or look in the dictionary. Whereas myself, I don't want to be a part of a conversation that I don't understand what the hell is being said, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to be participatory, so I need to go find out what was just said because you ain't about to speak over my head. Hey, I rhyme. Yeah, just like she said participatory. <laughs> I would have said involved. You know, oh, I want to talk. <laughs> That's all I would have said. But I so love she it. challenged uh -huh. me in that way. She challenged me to write. I had to write essays for everything that I wanted to do. If I wanted to go to the park to play handball, I had to write an essay. If I wanted to use her bike, because she had a hot, her bike was dope. It was a Fuji bike. And I had this little skimpy old dirt bike. So I had to write an essay as to why she should let me use her bike to go to the park to play handball, to go to the hip hop club, to go to the movies. I, I remember when Grease came out, I saw it about 14 times. And every time I had to tell her why it was important for me to go see the musical that would later and well, influenced me then uh, to want to be on stage and you know and do things. And then, lastly, enunciation. She was very much a part of why it is that I speak as if no one can hear me, <laughs> and that is to enunciate everything so that I can be clearly understood. I love it. I love it. So uh -huh. unstoppable. Yes. Uh, we, we did that one together. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I helped you put it together. You I sure edited, did. But it's all your thoughts. And then fusion, you and Dr. Bridging Benjamin the Chavis. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then we wrote your man and your money, how to get them and how to keep them. Yes. And, and we, then we our have next, an addendum. Yeah. Our next book is your man and your money, how to get them and how to keep them and throw them away if you need another one. 
But that's a whole other story. <laughs> She's like, I'm down with that. And I'm not talking bad against the brothers. I'm no. just saying, and maybe it's for the sisters too. If it don't work out, you know, I don't believe that you stay in something that is abusive or not right or whatever yeah. for the sake of family and for the sake of whatever. Yes, you work through your problems, but I think, um, you know, I embrace family. I embrace marriage. I embrace community. Right, well, you've been married. See, the great thing about this book is from two different sides of the spectrum is she's been married 24, 25 years. 25 years in March. Uh, three mm -hmm. children, and I'm a newlywed with no children. So right. it's like you get the whole, this whole gamut between. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So we talk about different things like, do you have joint checking accounts? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. And that is always so funny because, you know, the sisters who have been out here doing it, you know, it's like, no, you know. And, and even my grandmother, you know, Grandma B, she taught me growing up, well, what's yours is yours and what's his is yours. And then, you know, you <laughs> kind of think about the stuff we learn. Y'all know, sisters, am I telling the truth? That's what grandma and them taught us. But at some point, I was like, okay, my grandmother haven't had a man in 70 years. So I don't know if I'm going to listen to that. <laughs> right? So my husband and I, we've been married so long. We were kids. So we shared everything and right. we still do. But it's about honor and responsibility and trust. And, mm. you know, it goes both ways. So we talk about that. We talk about whether or not to get a prenuptial agreement. Mm -hmm. And the answer is a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if I'm a business person from my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to protect oneself. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also okay to share what it is that you want to share mm -hmm. and to not be bound by external rules. Right. So uh, we talk about that. Um, and we talk about when... The woman makes more money than the man. How do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, from my perspective, it doesn't matter who makes more money mm -hmm. because it takes a partnership to make a marriage work. That's right. There have been times in my marriage when I, my husband made more money and took care of me. And for the great majority of my career, I've made more money. But it doesn't matter. It's mm -hmm. not like it's my money. It's our money. Mm hmm and as a matter of fact, before I make a financial decision, I consult with him. And, and really, I go with what he says because I was the one who messed up our money in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't even have any sense. I had all of these brains and academics and no common sense, mm -hmm. you know, when it came to that. So we talk about that. We talk about that. Um, we talk about should, you know, things that you, assets that you acquire, should they be in both parties' names? Mm -hmm. Uh, and your advice for that? Yeah, well, I don't think that a husband and wife should buy everything together. So the the house shouldn't be in both of your names. The car shouldn't be in both of your names. Mm -hmm. Put something in one person's name and put something in someone else's name. Illinois just happens to be a marital property state. So even if you purchase something, if it's in the marriage, it belongs to both of you anyway, unless mm -hmm. there's some other kind of agreement. <laughs> not a community property state where if they have a debt, then it automatically becomes yours. That's not what I'm talking about. But I often say that because if you face a financial difficulty mm -hmm. and every asset is in both names, then if something happens, then everybody's name gets ruined. Yeah. As opposed to if like during the finance, the real estate crisis, if something happens and the house goes into foreclosure and it's only in one person's name, then the other spouse can now go and get a piece of property so that the, so that the family can continue to thrive and survive and have a place to Look live. So we Insider talk about, tips. Insider yeah, so we tips. talk about that. But everybody should have a trust. Mm -hmm. And I'll actually, uh, that's leading me to the next book. I wrote The Symphony, mm -hmm. A Guide to Creating and Balancing Multiple Streams of Income. MC Light wrote the foreword. 
And um, that book is all about the money game and understanding what I was saying earlier about the difference in the two systems in America and why everybody should be an entrepreneur. For example, there's a post on my Instagram page right now. It's a family with six kids. And the person who wrote the post basically says, you know, I used to want six kids, but that's six kids, there's six mouths to feed, there's six college tuitions, there's six hails, and there's six gnaws. And that's just funny It's all get out to me because it, it's kind of true. It's really funny. And I remember I used to want a lot of kids, but after I had one kid, I realized how expensive it was. So I had a second kid, and then here's the third one that popped up. But I said all that to say this. You know, my grandmother had 17 brothers and sisters. And I could tell you right now, if I had 17 kids, you know, kids got to eat every day. But if I had 17 kids, everybody wouldn't eat every day. I'd have a Monday, Wednesday group and a Tuesday, Thursday group. And on your day off, you'd have to fast, pray, or steal. I don't know what to tell you. But I don't know if I'd have the capacity financially to feed that many people. So kids need all these things. But do you know this? I didn't learn this until 11 years ago. The IRS says you can hire your kids to work in your home-based business. What's your home-based business? Mm -hmm. Any business that you have. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be an LLC. As a matter of fact, it cannot be your LLC or your corporation. It has to be your home business, mm -hmm. your braiding business, your cooking business, your advice-giving business, your daycare, whatever in your home, mm -hmm. and it can operate outside of your home. So if you drive an Uber car, that's still your home-based business, even though you have to go get in a car to conduct the business. Mm -hmm. The IRS says you can hire your children to work in your home-based business. You can pay each child up to $12,000 a year, up to you don't have to pay them that. It used to be 5000 which was about $100 a week. I knew I was spending $100 a week on each kid because when my children were younger, daycare was two fifty a week, okay? So you can pay each child up to $12,000 a year. Mm -hmm. The child does not have to report that as income, and you get to write it off as a deduction on your tax return, the whole $12,000 mm -hmm. per child. Yes. So I have three kids. That means I can hire each one. I'm spending money on stuff like getting back to school and they need money for this, that, and the other. Instead of just giving them the money and paying for the stuff and not having a tax write-off, the IRS says hire them, pay them a salary, get your money back at tax time, mm -hmm. and now use all the money that you paid them for their school clothes, school supplies, ballet classes, tuition, mm. all that kind of stuff. So that we talk dumb. about that in the symphony. symphony. The other thing that we talk about in the symphony is how to balance all of your businesses and your gifts. Any entrepreneurs out there? Yeah. Yeah. There's something wrong with us, mm -hmm. right? Because we go from one idea to the next. Yeah. We go from one thought to the next. Mm -hmm. We go from one million dollar dream. I mean, we, uh, we got so many things. And people like MC Light and Russell Simmons, they're like serial entrepreneurs. It should be a law against them. You mm -hmm. met anybody? She's a rapper, a VO uh, expert. She does voiceover. She does hosting. She performs. She has a management company. Now she's acting. In New York undercover, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, she is Thank doing you. it all and doing Thank it all so well. Um, so there's something that has to happen when you have all of those ideas. It needs to operate like a symphony. Mm -hmm. If you go to the orchestra and all the instruments start playing, it's going to sound like a mess. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we look like 
as entrepreneurs. When I was in my 20s, you could come to my house on a Saturday and I could write you an insurance policy because I had an insurance license. I could do your hair. I didn't have a license, but I could do your hair. I could do your nails. I had a license, but your nails would be lumpy. I could write your resume. I could teach you how to get a man, quit a man, how to get a job, quit a job. Like, I could do all this stuff. I was running on the treadmill, mm -hmm. but I wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is to take all the gifts that God has given us and learn when to put each one in place yeah. so that they operate like a symphony mm -hmm. where it's one beautiful sound and you have one beautiful business. So now I remember when I first started out on WVON and helping people get their credit straight. I helped a lady with four bankruptcies and two foreclosures overcome her credit issues. She got into a house right here in Chicago with a 6% interest rate, $1,400 down, changed her whole life around. I remember many of my colleagues laughing at me because not only would I help people get a mortgage and teach them about real estate on Saturdays on the radio, but then I'd go to uh, Malcolm X College and teach a class. Mm -hmm. Then I'd go to a church and do a seminar. Like I was doing all these different things. Mm -hmm. But what I did not realize then is that all that works in my favor now. It's mm -hmm. all one beautiful symphony. It mm -hmm. all works together. Mm -hmm. So my speaking, my teaching, my preaching, my writing, the books, all of it works together. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we talk about in the symphony is really what it takes to be an entrepreneur. There are four different personalities you need to have. Mm -hmm. Most entrepreneurs got the first personality down pat. We're dreamers. Mm -hmm. But if all you do is dream, it won't come into fruition. Right. So you need a thinker. Mm -hmm. So I was the thinker for her dreams. Yes. When I started working with Light, she had all these things she wanted to do. I had to say, slow down, Jim Shoe. <laughs> you know I'm from Chicago. She did honey. say that. I was like, Jim Shoe? <laughs> and and I, you know I'm straight from the shop. And sometimes we out, she's like, Lynn, what is wrong with you, girl? Oh, it's Chicago. And then she'll meet somebody from Chicago. Remember that guy at that event? He just walked up, took his picture. I was like, he from Chicago. Because we only people from Chicago act like that. Right. So, you know, I could be in a room. It don't matter who it is. It could be the president. It could be light. It could be anybody. And I still act like this. So she wanted to do all this stuff. I was like, wait a minute. Slow down, Jim Shoe. Yeah. She was like, Jim Shoe? <laughs> I said, we're not about to do all that, okay? Mm-hmm. We're not doing all that. And I've said it in my O.E. Bonnet language that I appreciate growing up in Chicago. We're going to create a plan. Yes. And we're going to have a strategy. Strategy. And so in our first year working together, it was, you know, it was tug of war. Mm -hmm. It was her wanting to do everything and me saying, stop. Yeah. We're not doing that right now because mm -hmm. that don't make no sense. Right. You want to go jump out the airplane. We ain't got no parachute. Right. You're going to fall flat on your face. Mm. Oh, we got the parachute. It don't have any strings. Mm. Oh, it got the strings, but they're not tough enough. Mm. Oh, you got the strings. You got the parachute, but you're going to land in a, in a sea full of alligators. Like, it's all these things that I can see and I'm thinking of. So if you're an entrepreneur, you got to be a dreamer, but you also got to be a thinker yeah. or have a thinker on your team. Right. The other part, part of the entrepreneur's personality is the storyteller. Mm. You got to have somebody going out. If you are great at what you do, and I know some people here are, you may have written a book about it or what have you. Mm -hmm. And if you planned it out well, you can make them, whatever it is. It could be dolls or it could be some invention. 
But if nobody knows about it, you're not going to sell them. Right. Okay? Yeah. So you need the dreamer, the thinker, the storyteller. Then you need the hunter. I'm a hunter. I'm a rainmaker. In any company that I'm in, mm -hmm. once I understand it, I know how to go and get the dollar and bring it in. Mm -hmm. Because if you dream and have something great and nobody plans it out strategically and nobody tells anybody, but at the end of the day, if you don't sell any of them, yeah. whatever it is, your idea, mm -hmm. your garment, your book, your services, whatever it is, then it's not really the spirit of entrepreneurialism. Entrepreneurialism is about making money, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Now, we can do philanthropy, but that's a different thing. Yeah. And we need to know the difference between the two. So that's what we talk about in the symphony. What uh -huh. did you learn from the symphony? Like, Oh, goodness. Um, well, the principles, when you just talked about the four different characters that uh, an entrepreneur needs to have or embody, um, that for a long time I understood, but I never had anyone explain it in those terms. And so it just gave a real sense of, um, a real sense of urgency if you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur. I know so many entrepreneurs who unfortunately have these great ideas, but they just sit. And then what happens is it becomes a block of like dead energy, but then you go out and you create something else. But if you go about doing it the same way you did the first business, you're going to be met with an unsuccessful end once again. And that's, you know, honestly, being what you call a serial entrepreneur was, of course, me wanting to do all of these things, but I, I didn't have someone to help me strategize how to put all of these things in place so that I'm able to fulfill all of them, so that they do... They, they are satiated at some point. Because really, an entrepreneur, we're the creative ones. And if we can't, if we make a piece of music but no one ever hears it, it sort of deflates us. And it, and it feels like a defeating, you know, something that uh, defeats us a little bit at a time. It eats away at us. And that's what happens with a lot of artists because some of us are so multi-talented that we wind up stunting one part of us because it was never met with satisfaction of being heard or noted. Right, and, and Russell Simmons speaks to that. Mm -hmm. He talks about, you know, being in the studio and truly an artist and whatever your studio is, your studio could be your kitchen with mm. what you're cooking. Yeah. It could be your computer with what you're writing. Uh -huh. It could be your studio with what you're creating musically or artistically. He says the best artist is only thinking, wait till they hear this, wait till they hear this. They're not really thinking about the money. Or the business but, part Or the business it. part of it. But mm -hmm. what I would also add to that is this, forget the results. Mm -hmm. Just create. Mm -hmm. Forget the results. Because do you know how many things I've created that have sat? Lens list. We created mm -hmm. 10 years ago, mm -hmm. but it didn't work. But I didn't let it deflate me. So understand that there are going to be some things that you create mm -hmm. and don't let it set you back. Just sit it to the side and be okay, but don't let it stunt you from not doing the next thing. Well, I think one of the things that I've learned, um, and this is being, growing up a, an only child and wanting to get things done the way I want to get them done, even if it meant they didn't get done at all, which is crazy. 
But what I've learned with working with you is the power of collaboration, mm -hmm. the power of communication, and the power of relinquishing things that I do not know how to do. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they do not collaborate enough in finding someone else that's in their gift. That's what happened. Although you have a beautiful creative side to you, you get business done. And so you are able to live in your purpose in that way, and I'm able to live in my purpose in creating, and we too have met in order for the power to be released. Yeah. I think what happens is prior to you, I thought that I could do it all. I thought that I could do it all myself. And the truth is, I, I'm not, my talent doesn't lie in strategy Let me tell you or them, them, them spreadsheets. This is my, my sister. <laughs> she the MC, the legendary MC like to y'all, but she is my sister. So when she tried to that tell me. she's about to diss me. Yeah, I, and no, it ain't no diss. <laughs> it's just the truth. When she tried to tell me something, I look at her like, now, you don't know nothing about what you just said. So you think I'm about to listen to you? Well, and I'll just... fake it till I make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about, how about let's fake this? We Uh-uh. No, we're not doing that. Right. So I'll just kind of be like, hold on, slow down. Mm -hmm. You know, I got this. Yeah. And if in the end, when, it, when it's successful, mm -hmm. be thankful. And if it mess, messes up then give me the opportunity to learn the lesson to recover. But you can't just take it just because you're used, used to, to controlling right. everything. That's, that's another thing. Get rid of what you're used to. Yeah. Get rid of what you used to do if that you, did not work. If you do what you always did, you will get what you always got. Nothing. And even if what you have is something. Yeah. So let me just say this. Mm -hmm. I have done some good things. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with um, the outcome of us working together. Hip Hop Sisters Foundation. We are a signature education initiative right now. Every time you buy a book, you're supporting hashtag educate our men. When the uh, Ferguson issue happened and Trayvon Martin, mm -hmm. some of our brothers and sisters started marching. Some of them started trying to get laws changed. Some of them started going in the street, hitting people upside the head. I mm. mean, that's just the truth. Right. But what we decided to do is to just put our men in school, get them off the streets, yeah. one young man at a time. Mm -hmm. And we went to Dillard University to start a female initiative. But when we got there and learned that the campus was only 20% male, we immediately shifted. Yeah. So I'm pleased with those results. I'm pleased with what we've done with the company. I'm pleased with what we have done in terms of producing books and content for people to learn, but I'm still not satisfied. So I'm not going to even do the same thing I've always done to get what I have right now. Right. Because what I have right now is not where I want to be. Yeah. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even going to do the same stuff I was doing yesterday. Because what I did yesterday produced what I have today. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not happy. It just means that I'm continuing to grow and be open mm -hmm. to change, to get to the next thing that God has for me. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we want to take a few questions, and then we're going to sign and autograph your books, and then we got to get on another plane to get out of here. We have been on the road for about 12 days now. Yeah. And uh, I am looking forward. I, I love Chicago, and I want to eat everything. Let me tell you all <laughs> something. I got here last night. Plane land about midnight. Got to my hotel. I called Light. I got her in her room. 
Then I called. I was like, okay, I'm on my way to Portillo's. I went to Portillo's, and I got a bacon double cheeseburger with extra bacon, extra cheese, and extra mayo, and an Italian beef dipped with extra gravy with hot dog toppings. Now, you know that's just ignorant. It is something wrong with that. And I couldn't eat all of that. I just mm, wanted it all. So, But this is my city, and mm. I just wanted a taste of some of the things. And we went and had a great breakfast. But we're going to take some questions, and we're going to sign some books. And I wish we could be here all day. I yeah. wish I could be here all day and just, it's, it's, you know, It feels be. good. It does feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to take some questions, and then we got to get out of here and get back on the road. She yes. Yes, oh. so we will, let's talk about that. So I don't have a lot of business cards here, but if I give you my card, that means I want to talk to you individually, one-on-one, -on -one. and everybody who knows me knows, I don't care, you go to anybody on social media, you can go to any of my followers, I return every single email, every single one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get hundreds a day. Yeah. Hundreds. Mm -hmm. People suicidal, their money situation, whatever, I respond to every single email. So if you reach out to me, then we can set up a consultation from wherever I am in the world mm -hmm. so we can talk about what your next steps are. Yeah. But congratulations to you. I'm proud of you for the, what you've accomplished. Oh, that's awesome. Out in the suburbs with WBON. Yes. And so now I was like, well, what's, now I'm thinking, what's my next question? But okay, thank you so much. I, didn't, I love it. But you do need to, I mean, the general thing is once you've paid off all your debt and you've got some you know, income streams going. The goal is to get passive income. And that's income you don't have to work for. That's the goal. And so you've got to invest intelligently over a long period of time so that you can get the kind of income coming in to support the lifestyle that you want to have and that you want to leave to future generations. Mm -hmm. So that is through a combination of ensuring that you have an annuity if you don't have a pension. And I would say even if you have a pension, get an annuity anyway and the proper investments and franchises or real estate or whatever combination of things that fit into your vision so that you can have long-term income and wealth to pass on to future generations. But that's essentially what it is. And it's just a, it's no one straight answer. It's different for everybody. Well, Thank you any for more that questions? Question. That's an excellent question. Thank you so much. Hello. 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 My name is Donna. I wanted you to tell me how you've addressed the challenge of getting someone to see the value in what you do. Mm. To get someone to see the value of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to address that the way I address everything, honey, the shy town way. Uh -oh. I don't, don't forget what people think. Because what it sounds like to me is you trying to get people to value something. And, honey, let me tell you something. The, the, a prophet ain't even respected in his own town. So... Nobody can build a, a nine-figure anything off of your relatives and your friends. It would be nice if you could. But I don't spend my time trying to convince anybody of anything. I go out, I say the message, and if you don't hear it, okay, bless you. You keep on going, you keep on stepping, honey. Mm. You don't let your feet get stuck in no mud, and you keep going. Because the thing about it is this. When you start to change and grow and do something... Most people get disappointed and let down because your friends not supporting you. People say you change it. Even your family members, people you thought were going to support you. Let me tell you something. When you start growing, you're showing other people that they're not. Mm -hmm. And everybody's not comfortable with that. When I see someone growing, I could be like, "Woo, she's growing. 
I don't care who get there first. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to be on your team. Or maybe I can't. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, when you start to show your power, other people become fearful in their lack of power. And, so and, don't uh, take it personally. It's not all about you. Mm -hmm. Just keep on moving yeah. and keep being excellence. Excellence is the minimum standard. I tell people, don't aim for excellence if you aim at what you're doing right now. Jankiness? Come on now. Uh-uh. Start at excellent at the bottom. And as long as you're excellent, then the person who was supposed to hear your message and understand the value will receive it, and you can go to the next level. We want more questions. Yes. And please note that, yeah, we are starting a single file line if you're ready to come and get your books. Anyone else with questions? And then also, I come would up to say, the mic so we can hear. I would say to have, you know, to set up a somewhat of an advisory board because maybe that product that no one is seeing the value in isn't it. Maybe it's not now. Maybe you're too ahead of your time. Or maybe it's obsolete. Or maybe you have to change it, make it better, perfect it, maybe. Yes, I would definitely say be open to growing. I would yeah. add that to it. Yeah. So if it's, if it's constructive criticism, mm -hmm. and sometimes when we receive feedback, we don't feel like it's constructive because we take it personally. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I always say out of all that is remove yourself. It ain't about you. Mm -hmm. Nothing that you're doing is about you. Nobody's sitting here. It ain't about you. Me standing here is not about me. Mm -hmm. MC Light being here ain't about her. It's all about what we can do to serve the Service. community. And when... Asada told us the reason why she was doing this book fair, and we were on WVON, and Light was on that day, and I said, you know, I have a hard time sometimes with the whole reading thing because I send, I have sent millions of people the stuff that they need to read. If they just did what I said in the read, in the, in the message, they could change their situation. They come back to me and they say, now what am I supposed to do? I'm not telling you. You got to read it. Yeah. And so people will say, I've heard it said that if you want people to get something, put it in a book because they ain't going to read it. Mm -hmm. And so it was Asada who helped me understand that we have a socio, we have basically a pathological relationship that goes back generations with reading because mm -hmm. our people their tongues were cut out if they tried to read. They were killed if they tried to read. So the mental and emotional and the systemic uh, reverberation of that is still here. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me a whole nother level of respect. Yes. So I'm not here for me. I'm here for that. And if there's anything we can do to support literacy, so I would just say that. It's not about you. Stay open. What's yes. the next question? Next question. Well, you should. <laughs> I want a picture with the queen. Oh. That might not happen. Well, if it don't happen. You know, I just tell everybody the truth. I don't know if that's going to happen. No, in fact, part of my job is to let everybody know that we're not so much taking pictures, although yeah. um, MC Light will be um, signing books and so forth. But no, we're not doing pictures. Yeah, and all today. of the proceeds to the book go to all of it goes Hip Hop to Sisters Hip Hop Sisters. Educate our men. Yep, every single penny. Yeah, and I'll do a photo. Well, maybe we'll book. do. Maybe we'll. Yeah. Maybe Asada will start some literary cafe type events where we can come once a quarter or something, and we can take pictures. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> something like that. Feel any more free, questions? Any more questions? That's it. Before we. That's it. Just okay. Give a Thank you. Great warm thanks and applause. Thank Dr. you all. Lynn Richardson. This was so much fun. It and was MC fulfilling. Light, y'all. Great, great, great audience. This was awesome.
What you're hearing is the internet's redhotradio.fm.